Yeah, I know it's a little bit warm, just a few more degrees than in the past, um, but the relief is just around the corner. Tomorrow it's going to be about substantially less than uh, temperature today, which reminds that if you're in a hot spot for whatever reason, challenges, difficulties that you may have, the relief is on the way, perhaps like next half an hour or so as you received the message. Now, how many of you are, who are here today is really tempted to stay home and uh, not come out? Yes, there are some honest answers, uh, but uh, I understand that. appreciate that, but uh, you're here for a blessing. You know, when you win over those kind of temptation, and those who are here today, you are, in fact, growing in grace. We've been talking about the, our series on the growing in grace, too often as, as Christians, you think that grace is very static. Oh, yeah, I received grace. The moment I said, Jesus is my Savior, that's the end of that. But according to Scripture we've been talking about the last couple of months, it is not so. When you receive grace, you become a baby. You're an infant, and you need to grow in grace. And that's what we've been talking about. In terms of uh, our um, the series, uh, the theme of uh, scripture in 2 Peter, uh, chapter 3.18, but grow in grace. That's our duty to grow in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's what we talked about in the past, but especially last week we discussed as to what we are and how we are to be before the eyes of the Lord. How do we grow in the eyes of the Lord? One of the things that we talked about last week was when you fear our God. And when we fear him in reverence, we are growing in grace. Psalm 33, 18 says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope is in his unfailing love. So today... We're going to shift the gear a little bit. So far, for the last couple of months, we talked about how we can grow in grace as to what we are, as to the right things to do before the eyes of the Lord. But today, we're going to talk about how to grow in grace before the eyes of man. That's each other. That's our neighbors. And the point is, when we do the right things, in the eyes of a man that is doing the right thing in the eyes of the Lord. So pay attention to this particular Bible verse, which is today's Bible verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8.21. For we are taking pains, notice the word pains, to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. You want to grow in spirituality? You want to grow in grace? You have to pay attention to the people around us, not only to God, people around us. Focus on the phrase, in the eyes of man. It's not just about God. God wants us to pay attention to the people around us. 
Now, this comes with just amazing challenges and difficulties. It's really, really difficult to live that is pleasing to the eyes of man. Notice it says pains. For we are taking pains. It doesn't say that just go and do the things, the right things, before the eyes of man. It says we are taking pains. The author, God knows it takes a pain to do the right things before the eyes of man. I hope you agree with me on that. Our God never really gives us a whole lot of pain. You know who gives us the pain? Our family members. <laughs> our church members. Our co-workers. Yes, our friends. They're really pain. And the bad. And it's painful to do the right thing in the eyes of man. So the question is this. How do we do the right thing in the eyes of man? Go do some research. Write one word as, what, as to what that is. In a nutshell, it is to be honest. The whole entire scripture talks about how to be honest to one another. It is being honest. And when you're honest, I'll tell you all the pains goes away. The pains comes because we are not totally honest and transparent. And you may say, well, it can't be that simple. Yes, it is. But it is one of the most difficult things to do. So what keeps us from being honest? For one, we try to kind of protect ourselves. I didn't do it. I didn't eat it. We try to protect. We try to make uh, ourselves look better than the others. I did it. You only did it. Like you contributed only 5%. You say, I did it. How, many, how much did you contribute? I did it. Is that being honest? Exaggeration is not an honesty. It's a pride. It's a jealousy. It's a shame, unwillingness to be transparent. That's all about not being honest. The greed, jealousy, all hinder us from being honest to one another. Do you know what honesty is? Here are some of the typical definitions from dictionary. Honorable in principle, intentions, and actions. Showing uprightness and fairness. Gain or obtain fairly. Sincere, frank, respectful, having a great reputation. So that's the definition. So what? Does that move you? Does that change you? Does that give you inspiration to do something? It's just a definition. But you know, the definition in according to Scripture is this. Honesty is opposite of lying. That's the real definition. Forget all this about honorable and principle, intention, and frank, respectful, having good reputation. Honesty, in accordance 
to the scripture, if you extract all the Bible, and you really look at what the honesty is, is honesty is just the opposite of lying. So if you are not honest, what you're really doing is you're lying. I said, well, lying. There are white lies, whatever lies, but it's lying. Now, let me tell you, let's study a little bit about what lying is to God. I don't know how seriously you take lying, but you need to understand what God thinks of lying. It is one of those things God hates the most. God calls it abomination. You know what abomination is? It's called, it's atrocity, it's disgrace, it's horror, it's curse, it's evil, monstrosity, violation, and it goes on and on. That's what God thinks of what lying is. So if you are not honest, you are lying. And God hates lying tongues. Proverbs 6 Verse 16 through 19, there are six things that the Lord hates and seven things that are detestable to him. For one, holy eyes and a lying tongue. There it is. Well, it's not, we're not over yet. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises a wicked scheme. What do you think the wicked scheme? Who the, what, what causes a wicked scheme? Dishonesty. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. Here it goes again. And a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. How do you stir up dissension? Dishonesty. Of the seven things God hates the most, it is clearly depicted in this particular three verses four times how God detests, hates lying. So when you walk out of this auditorium today, I want you to think twice about the implication of what lying is. You can love your God all you want, worship all you want, and you start lying to your friends. It will limit, it will hinder us growing in grace. And when you grow, when you are not growing in grace, your life is going to be really challenging. It's going to be tough. And sometimes you wonder, what's wrong with my life? God, why are you doing this to me? Reflect on yourselves, on the things that God hates the most. This is a serious business. Don't think of it lightly as, well, today's topic is growing in grace and honesty. Well, I'll try to be honest. No, 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 this is a serious business. I am telling you, if you can live by this honesty, your life will be much better. God will pour your blessings, pour favor upon you. This is what hinders us from succeeding in life. Ever since I was young, I took this business of honesty very seriously. How young was I? I was in First year in college. Two things I learned. First year in college. I learned the importance of honesty. Second thing, I learned to how to comply. How to live by it. No matter what cause, be honest. 
So during my first year in college, I had an opportunity to work for a company called Pannoni and Associates. It's co-op during the summertime. And I went for an interview, and after brief uh, orientation, I was taken to, oh, to my surprise, office of the president of the company. That company today employs over 1,000 people. When I went there, which was back in the uh, 79, 80, it was only about 100 people. I thought that was a big company and a successful company. The interview with President lasted less than three minutes. He asked me because uh, as an engineer, actually, we have to do a lot of handwriting. And this is before computer days, like drawing. Kind of like, so he's like, write your uh, name like this. Sign your name. So he, he looks at it. Hmm. He didn't say anything. And then he says, do you have any question? I mean, he, that was, I was off guard. I didn't know what to ask. I mean, I would expect him to ask me a decent question I can answer. He says, do you have any question? So what came out of my mouth was that, because I was admiring him, you know. He's like, you know, company, big company, he's a president. And so I said, how did you become so successful? Would you ask that question? Sure. I said, why did you become so successful? He looked me right in my eyes and says, didn't even hesitate, honesty. Honesty. Be honest, and you will succeed in life. And he dismissed me. And I got hired. And that word honesty rang in my head all my life since that period of time. He asked me to come back two summers. I worked for him three total of three summers. And he served me well. The other thing that I learned was how to take the advice seriously. When somebody gives you an advice, someone whom you respect, let's say it's a mentor, you take that seriously. That means when you, what, what do you mean by take it seriously? That means you need to comply. God calls it obey, listen. You see, advice from mentor Advice sometimes when you really earnestly seek something from your parents, your pastor, your mentor, is not a suggestion, ladies and gentlemen. It's not something you can, oh, yeah, it sounds good, in toss it away, do whatever you want. You are totally wasting your time and your mentor's time. So upon hearing from Mr. Pannoni, about the roadmap to success in business is about honesty. I decided that he is going to be my role model. I never told him that. We never had an agreement. But because I learned how to obey and comply, I think he felt it. 
And every time there's an opportunity to sit down, he would advise me something that I always did it, and I always followed up and said, Mr. President, I did it, and that was so awesome. And he would just acknowledge me with a nod on his head. And he became my silent mentor, even today. If you want to keep somebody for life, a mentor to guide you to succeed in life, you first have to be honest with your mentor. Now, that mentor, some people say it's God or Christ that's fine too. You have to be honest with your mentor. Meaning that you don't take the person for granted. If he or she tells you to do something, no matter how painful, remember the scripture says you take the pain, taking pain. No matter how painful it is, you listen and you comply or you obey. It will be a painful process. And you need to do that if you want that mentor to be with you for the rest of your life. The mentor will walk away from you if you don't listen. Why am I spending my time with you? Why am I spending once a month or once a week, spending three, four hours a day, talk with you, and you just, whatever I tell you to do, you throw in the trash can, you do something else, a month later you talk about the same kind of thing. I can't afford to spend that kind of time. You move on. They move on. And you have challenges. 2 Corinthians clearly says, for we are taking pains. We need to take the pains to do what is right. Not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. You see, mentor is like a coach. Coach fully and fully expects you to do whatever they tell you to do. The moment you disobey, the moment you do not comply, I'm going to kick you out of the team. Simple. The coach is not going to teach you just the skill set required for that team. It's going to tell you what to eat, what to not eat. It's going to tell you what time to get up and what time to sleep. He's going to tell you how to walk, how to dress people. He will do that. The good coaches will do that. If you want to be a champion of the world, you better learn how to walk. You better learn how to talk, not just the skill sets. That's what the good coaches do. And God desires us to comply to his word. Bible uses, instead of comply, uses the word obey. There are 611 commandments in the Bible. They're all about obeying. It's all about complying to his words. That is one of the reasons why complying, obeying is painful. One day at this particular firm, I was asked to compile a report. And I did and submitted to, it was asked by president, so I compiled it and uh, gave it to the secretary. And then a few hours later, the secretary came to me and said, Mr. Pannoni reviewed this and he wants you to review it and then make 12 copies. And I thought it was kind of odd. If Mr. Pannoni wants to 12 copies, why would he ask me? It, the report was already in the hands of the secretary. She could just stick it into the Xerox machine 
or copy machine and make copies. So I, myself, I said to myself, there must be a reason. Maybe I did something wrong. So I began to look at the report that I compiled. I looked at the front page. Well, guess what? It was a misspelled word. He was going to take this compiled report and give it to the board members. How embarrassing would it be for me and for him to submit to the board member with misspelled title of that compiled report? So I fixed it immediately, the misspelled word, and gave it to the secretary with 12 copies. She said, good catch. It appeared that she knew all along. It was a test to see if I would pick it up. So I thanked her for giving me the opportunity to, to fix it. Later, when I saw Mr. President, I thanked him for letting me fix it. You know what he says? That's honesty. Admitting that you made a mistake and fixing it and thanking, that's honesty. And being transparent. Transparency and honesty, they're, kinda, they're like cousins. They kind of go together. So years later, when I you know, started my own company, as you already know, my staff recommended me that I apply for uh, Ernest Young Awards for Construction Industry. It's a prestigious award. It is considered a red carpet uh, award for the construction industry. So I got shortlisted, and I was invited for an interview. When I got there, my goodness, they were selecting a couple of people, and there were 40, 50 candidates. They're all great-looking guys and gals, all dressed up, and here I am, walking in. And there were 12 judges. The way they did the interview was we all lined up in one row, and there were 12 judges sitting different tables. And what we do is each one of us go to see each judges. Each judges get three minutes to interview. So you go to the first one, three minutes. You go to the next one, and the third, fourth. So total interview lasts about 36 minutes. 12 judges times three, 36 minutes. When I got about halfway, I was shocked. Guess who was sitting there? Mr. Pannoni. By now, he was man of influence in the city of Philadelphia. Not only was he still the chairman of his company, he became chairman of trustee of Drexel University, and later he added the medical school and the hospital to Drexel University. Very a man of real influence in the city of Philadelphia. He just looked at me and smiled. I don't know what he asked me during that three minutes. I don't know how I answered. One thing I knew was I have his vote. There was no doubt that I would have his vote. And there was no doubt, because he's a man of influence, that when they get together, 12 judges, when they sit around and start de deliberating the, the right candidate, that he is going to influence the other judges. So my hope was high. Surely enough, a week or two later, 
I got the letter stating that I had won the award. He advised me to live life in honest, with honesty. And he knew that I did. He was watching. Even when I started my own company, he was watching. Do you know how I know? When I had a second heart transplant, I was laying in the hospital five months. I get a call from Mr. Pannoni. I haven't seen him. I haven't worked with him six, seven years or about 10 years. Entire my career until that time, we have never really talked. He said, I have heard that you're in the hospital. He says, I am sorry that I did not know about your first heart transplant. Now I know. I wish you well. Godspeed. I will pray for you. He knew that I was building my company, the business, with honesty. He knew that I was building the business with honesty because I let everybody in the world know that I am a man with a heart transplant, meaning I am weak. I could, anything could happen anytime. If you want to hire our company, take a risk. Something could happen that I may not be able to continue the service. I was honest about it. I did not hide my condition. You see, it is the same with God. God values honesty. And he defines honesty this way. James 3, 17 through 18 says, But the wisdom, the wisdom of honesty that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. I know this is a real big issue with a lot of people, young and old, submissive. Full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Let's look at the word pure. It is honesty that makes our lives pure. How do you make your life pure? So pure, it's honesty. If you're not honest, then it's not pure. Like Jesus, he was pure, nothing to hide. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Peace loving. That's what honesty does, it gives peace. When you're honest, it gives peace. It begins to settle difficulties that you may be facing with people. Consider it. Only honest person is confident enough to be considerate. Submissive. Compliance. Obedience. It takes honest person to be submissive. Full mercy and good fruit. Honesty gives forth or gives birth to justice and fair play. And when you do that, you will bear good fruits. Impartial and sincere. No favoritism. Just being sincere. These are the definition of honesty. 
And this is the description of who Jesus is. He was pure. He was peace-loving. He was considerate. He listens. He had this amazing heart for those who are poor and lost. He was submissive, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, by submissive to death, even death on the cross. He was full of mercy and good fruit. We know that. He was impartial and he was sincere. That's a description of honesty. That's a description of who our Lord Jesus is. Therefore, when we want to grow in grace, that's why we say we are to grow in Christ-like. And today's topic is we can do that through honesty. Here's the point. Jesus was and is honest. And he will be honest with you. So you are not only temperature hot out there, but if you are sitting on some hot spot right now, hot place with some challenges, go before him. Be totally honest with him. Don't just say, relieve this from me. Say, I, made, I was foolish, God. I made a huge mistake. I want to be honest with you, God, with you first. Then you can ask. Then, only then you can ask for him to help you. Take your burden and yoke to him. And when you do that, he will give you an honest response. And then what do you do with the honest response? You better comply. You better do it. Because he will give you a response. When you're honest with God, hey, God, I know I'm in a hot spot right now. I messed up with this person or this situation. And I need real help. And he will go give you a response. It's whatever the response is, you better comply. And that's growing in grace. So here are some scripture about honesty. Honesty is sweet. Proverbs 24, 26 says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Sounds very poetic. Well, it is poetic. It is a good thing. God values honesty. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. I know I talk about sacrifice quite a bit, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, yourself. That is sacrificing for your neighbor. That's what Jesus did. But if you really understand what caused Jesus to sacrifice for us, because it's about he was being honest. Jesus sacrificed because to do so was right and honest thing to do based on the circumstances, looking at us, doing the right thing, honest thing for him to do was die on the cross for our sins. God loves honest men. Proverbs 12, 22 says, The Lord detests lying lips. Okay, here's once again. But he delights, he loves 
He delights in men who are truthful. This is uh, what I was telling you about. Without honesty, our Christianity is completely useless. It's not my word. It's right in the Bible. Let's read it. James 1.26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, bridle, you know what bridle is? Bridle is that this, this headgear that you put on horse's mouth so you can control. It's, it's to control. If you don't control your tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Honesty takes you in a safe and straight path. Proverbs 28, 18. He whose walk is blameless is kept safe, but he whose ways are perverse will suddenly fall. And you know, it's a little bit of a scary kind of thing, but God knows everything about our honesty. First John 3, 18 through 20 says, Dear children, let us not love with the words or tongue, but with action and in truth. Verse 19, This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. Verse 20, Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Here, we are to do it, put it into action. We are to comply. We are to obey. Speak with action. Speak with action, not with words. You see, words are so cheap. Growing grace says right here, rest in his presence. That's how you grow in his grace because he knows everything. And finally, 1 Peter 3, verse 10 through 12. For whoever would love life, you will love life, right? For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil. What's evil? One of the definitions of evil is lying. When you're lying, it's evil. Keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if you lie, if you're not honest, his face is against you. And you wonder why your life is full of tragedy, full of difficulties. Now, let me qualify that. When you do go through some tough times, as we all know, there's purpose too. So you've got to balance the times God gives us challenges and difficulty, perhaps because of the dishonesty, but there's a reason. And you can turn that to blessing. Remember we, one of the things that we talked about, uh, a topic we talked about, good, bad, ugly. It doesn't always have to turn out to be that way. It's just a movie world. Good, bad, and ugly. You can turn good, bad into what? Blessings and grace. Yes. 
Verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Who are the righteous? Who are righteous to God's eyes? Those who are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. They are the one who will be seen as righteous before God. So let us do what is right in the eyes of man and continue to grow in His grace.